0: Let me read for you our reading for tonight, and we follow on from this morning in Romans chapter 8, and verse 28 we read, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren." Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wonderful passage on the security and assurance for the believer. There's a hymn we sing, 460, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in the pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning on the everlasting arms. I pray that you tonight can say, I'm leaning on the everlasting arms, the arms of the Lord Jesus. He's got us in his hand. John chapter 10 said he he holds his own in his hand and nobody can Take them from his hand, as one fellow said. Well, what if I get myself out of there? You can't, you can't, and this passage verifies that. This evening, and so looking at Romans chapter eight, if you've just tuned in, um, and we're we're going through these verses, and we'll have to pick up verse 26 and 27 that we didn't get around to uh, explaining this morning. We've looked at certainties, several certainties. A new position that we have, not condemned anymore. A new presence we have, a certainty of the presence of the Holy Spirit in verses um, 5 to 13 of Romans 8. A new prestige that we have, a prestigious position as being uh, adopted into the family of God, 14 to 17. The new prospects that we looked at this morning that we have, wonderful glorious prospects not only for us but for the creatures that groan and travail in pain together until now and now we come to the first point for this evening which is about the fifth point in Romans 8 the saint has the certainty of a new paraclete let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing thank you heavenly father for the word of God that shows us light in a dark place That, Lord, we can hold up and have the pathway clear. And when uncertain times like these come upon ourselves in this world, we can be bold. We can know what's going on. And we know the future, not in detail, but in the broad spectrum of things. We've got the wonderful promises of God. Bless our hearts tonight. Bless each one that is looking and tuned in tonight I'll pray that a blessing would be each of theirs and others that might listen later. May they also be ministered to by the word. We ask and pray in the wonderful name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, whom we're going to see soon. We ask it in his name. Amen. <clears throat> the saint has the certainty of a new paraclete. A paraclete means advocate. Advocate a helper, to come alongside and help. And in verse 26 and 27, we have that given to us. In verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmity. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he... Maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. <clears throat> I think we've all been in this position that this verse talks about where we don't know what to pray for, we don't know how to pray, and after we've prayed, we felt well. And I think that went far. But God knows. God knows our motive, our reason for praying. And even An unspoken prayer is heard by the Lord and the Holy Spirit is able to take that prayer, rearrange it, present it to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ and it's powerfully put. I'm glad of that, that God can do that through this helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Over in the book of John's Gospel... Chapter 14, and I think we read these last week, and verse, yes, verse 14 of, no, verse 16 of chapter 14. I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter that he may be able to, that he may abide with you, sorry, forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. How will he come to us? When the Lord Jesus went back to heaven, he said he would send the comforter. And this is, he will send. He wasn't present in the form that he is now present in the cho- for the church. And over in verse 26 of the same chapter, but the comforter who is the Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and shall bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said unto you. So here the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in the child of God when he believes by faith. In these verses, it's like I've said before, it's, it's like the Lord is saying, ready, steady, go. <laughs> it's uh, before the Spirit came as he did at Pentecost, the Lord's saying, get ready. He's coming. Huh. Said he, you know how you do it in the blocks? If you're doing running back in, in the days of school, or maybe still do it. Ready, said he, and then the gun fires. <laughs> Go, and gun firing is Pentecost, chapter 2 of the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit came. The Lord had said he would come, he would be a helper, he would be a comforter, and in day, uncertain times we need a comforter. Who better to rely on than the Lord himself, his spirit? We can trust in men and counsellors and psychologists, ah, but far better to go to the Lord, who knows all things. He helps us. He helps us in understanding. He teaches us all things. Uh, <clears throat> over in the book of Hebrews, it speaks of the help that he is to us, particularly in prayer. In Hebrews chapter ten, verses nineteen and through to twenty-two, we read this: Having therefore, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which He hath consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he that is faithful that hath promised. And let us consider one another to provoke to love and to good works and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, exhorting one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. He, the Holy Spirit, is said to be our helper. The way into the holy place has been opened. In the Old Testament, the the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year, that with a rope tied to his leg, to pull him out in case he was smitten dead by the Lord. And when the Lord Jesus died in the veil of his flesh, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, from heaven to earth, opened the way of access to God For every Christian, every believer, priest that we are now. We can go directly to God. We don't need to go through a man. We go directly to God. And we are to go boldly. And so the Spirit of God is our paraclete. He is our helper. He is the one that comes alongside in times of trouble. He's the one that comforts us in these hard times. And who knows how hard it's going to get if these restrictions we have continue For another five months, or whatever they're saying, so that we rid ourselves of this virus, what is going to be like on the other side? Might revert back to what what it was like in the times of depression. It could be tough, but we have the Holy Spirit to comfort us. It's so important you recognize that. Go to Him. Pray to pray. Well, go through Him to the Lord as he gives you an enablement to pray. And as we've seen in the book of Romans, when we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, we have the Holy Spirit who maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. How better he presents our petitions than we present them ourselves. He knows our heart. He lives inside. He can be grieved if we sin. He can be quenched if we do the wrong thing. But he's always that he won't, he can't leave. (laughs) That's a promise of God. We have security. In that we are sealed, Ephesians 4.30, with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so the certainty, folks, that you have a helper, a paraclete that comes alongside. The next certainty, the sixth certainty we find in the book of Romans chapter 8 is the certainty of a new perception. We perceive things differently when we become a Christian and when we grow as a Christian. Verse twenty-eight, and we know, and we know huh? certainty <clears throat> that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. We perceive this; we understand this. All things work together for good. This may sound ridiculous. To a non-believer. If we lose our job. As an unsafe person. If we lose our health. If we lose our food resources that we have. And don't have as much. If we lose our super. Not our supper. Our super fund. If these things that happen to us. These days, in uncertain times, happen to us. We ought to be able to say, thank God. Particularly if you're not a Christian, and the taking away of these things that have been your prop through your life, and that you've depended on, this is your assurance. You know, the world can give us life insurance. Only God can give us life assurance. And this is what we find in these verses here. God gives us assurance that all things work together for good to them that love God. There's a member of the church here that went through a hard time when he was younger. He was not a Christian. He was in the army. Brother Doug Langlands. He was shot in Vietnam. He came back to Albury, met the pastor of the church here, Pastor Evan Goff, and through the testimony there of the word, got saved. And now, I think he's in his 70s, we won't give his, <laughs> his age away, but he thanks God that it happened to him. Because if it hadn't happened to him, he might be like many of his friends, gone out into eternity, unsaved. But he thanks God that it happened to him because through that, he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he has an eternity forever settled in heaven. You see how the things we don't think are good for us can turn out for the good. Even Christians, we moan and groan and complain about this, that and the other. <clears throat> and sometimes you dare not ask at the door of the church when people are leaving, how are you? <laughs> you know they're going to spill off all the all the... What about... The good things, not just the bad things. What about praising God, not just petitioning God? God likes to hear the praise of his children. And so we have a new perception that all things work together for good to them that love God. Listen to what it says back in Romans 5.3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. You see what happens here in the process of this problem? We go to God, He teaches us patience through this, and He teaches us hope. And hope maketh not a shame, for the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given unto us. Ah, yes, to the non believing, it sounds ridiculous. But to the Christian, we know it's good for us if he takes away. In uh, the book of Philippians, well, there's one more in Romans. We go back to chapter 8 and verse 18. There we read, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory. More suffering? More suffering? More glory. The same in war, when you think of that. When they come out gloriously clad with the awards they receive, the more suffering, the more glory. And we are in a battle with Satan and sin and the flesh, and we'll come out victorious, revealed in the time to come. But over in the book of Philippians, where we were going, Paul said in chapter 1 and verse 12, But I would not that you should. No, I would that you should understand, brethren, that all the things which happened to me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. What had happened to him? Oh, he's thrown into prison. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in in all the palace. Where? In Rome. The leading nation of the world. Paul was in prison there, and so he had been testifying to the guards, to the prison keepers, to the fellow prisoners, and eventually, I believe, he had opportunity to talk to Nero. Before he died, I'm sure he gave testimony, Paul, bold as a lion, that his bonds are manifest in all the place. You know, it was not nice. I remember being in Israel and going down to Caesarea on the coast. And it had a button there that said, press, talk to Paul. So press and a man dressed in old, the, the old attire of that day and, and it was like a reenactment of Paul and he's about to leave from Caesarea. We walked out on the pier where he would have left from to go as a prisoner to Rome and the shipwreck and all the things that happened there. But you think, here's the mighty apostle Paul. Here's all the revelations he got. And yet he's going as a prisoner. You say, this is not right, Lord. You know, I need to be free. I've got the message, I need to take it out. But Paul accepted these things, as we ought to accept. All things work together for good to them that love God. You know, if Paul hadn't been imprisoned, we wouldn't have the prison epistles that we have. He would have been out and about preaching. But we have the permanent record in the scriptures. We have that. And the influence that it had in Rome and all the people that shared the gospel, shared the gospel from there out. So my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. God was still working. That was a tough time for him. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So other Christians heard Paul was in prison. It didn't make him chicken out. It made him get into it more. The, The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. The other of love, knowing I'm set for the defense of the gospel, What then? Notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. In that I do rejoice and will rejoice. Troublesome times in Paul's life brought great blessings to many people, particularly those in Rome, where he was taken to be a prisoner. Ah, yes, it's true. It's often in adverse and trying circumstances that we seek God. You hear people who are not god fearing or god believing at all when there's a troublesome ah, oh, god help me <laughs> and then they forget when he does help them to give him thanks and and um, believe on him but uh, <clears throat> we cry out in times of need for help listen to what job said and he had he had some troublesome times. all his property his animals and his children taken from him in a flash And Job said this in chapter 23 and verse 10, and his health later on was taken too. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Put in the furnace, furnace of affliction. We have this perception as Christians. Non-Christians don't understand this, but Christians should. Sometimes we buck against it even as God's people when times of trouble come and loss comes and this is a time of loss a time of taking away we know not where it's going to end but we ought to always say God's on the throne he's still sovereign he's still ruling he knows what he's doing let's trust him let's trust him the next certainty the seventh certainty is the saint has a certainty of a new pledge that the Lord gives In verse 29, and down to 30. For whom he did foreknow, <coughs> this is God foreknowing, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, whom he justified, them he also glorified. So it starts with foreknowledge, and it ends in glory. You, you look at the... First verse in 29, or the, the, the words there, foreknowledge of God and glorified. We have this pledge from God that what he has started in our lives is going to finish. That's <laughs> a pretty raw product. We're, we're diamonds in the rough. We hear that saying. There's a, he's a diamond in the rough. Well, a person that becomes a Christian is a diamond in the rough. And God has to cut and polish and gro- well, grind and, and polish And set us for his glory. And one day we'll be glorified. (laughs) Made into his image. What a wonderful thought. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 15.49 As we have borne the image of the earthy. We read it this morning. Adam that is. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly. The Lord Jesus Christ. We will bear his image. In Ephesians 4.13 Till we all come in the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun the good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. I read that just a moment ago in the previous point. <clears throat> God always finishes what he starts. We looked at that in uh, bringing cre- creation back to its pristine glory. God can do it. If he can speak it into existence, he can speak it to be corrected and uh, refashion and bring it back to that glory. And so he will with us. He started the work and he's going to perform it. Christian, get used to it. And we ought to warn people that we're talking to about becoming Christians. Listen, it's not an easy road. We are born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. All that will live godly shall suffer persecution. If you're not suffering, it may be because you're not living godly enough. You're not living like he wants you to. You're not drawing attention to yourself that you are a Christian. We Christians are predestinated to be conformed. Notice that word there. Let's not get it mixed up. Predestination is for Christians. In the context, you look at the occasions where it's used... He also did predestinate to be who? Us, who are Christians, conform to the image. This is a one-way path to glory and it's going to happen, conform to his will. It will happen no matter what. <clears throat> Whom he foreknew. This ties well, perfectly, with 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Mark it down i'll say it again first peter 1 2 underline it in your bible because a lot of people go around and do not take notice of this or they add to this verse i was reading about this this week and they add some words to this verse to make it say what it's not saying it says first peter 1 2 elect according to the foreknowledge of god the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace be to you, and peace be multiplied. We are elected according to God's foreknowledge. You see, God knows everything in the future, everything that's happened in the past that was future at one time, he knew it would happen. He knew that one day, those who believe would hear a preacher, read a tract, listen to a sermon, be talked to by a friend, and that the Holy Spirit would work on their hearts. And they would be convicted about their sin. They would be convicted about their need of a saviour and that they would believe. He knew that. And of course he could say, they're one of my elect. But they had a choice to believe or to reject. So this verse in 1 Peter 1, 2 Romans 8, 29 to 30 turns Calvinism on its head. It's not in God's character to choose, elect some to heaven and others to go to hell. It's like the farmer sorting the sheep out. And he's got that little... Sh- they're coming down the chute and he's... You know, this sheep goes that way. Ten sheep go that way. And in... In the Bible, it says that there are few that be saved. The broad way that most people are on is destruction. Does God want that? Never. No. Not according to his word, over and over again. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so can you imagine the Lord saying, here comes a nice white sheep, I'll keep him. And then he goes 99 to hell. Who cares? No. No, no. God is not like that. How could God give an open invitation to whosoever will believe and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus? How could he give an open invitation and then some person gets an interest and starts walking toward, as it were, the door of salvation and God slams it shut? You're not one of the elect. No. No. How could he, in the last book of the Bible, in the last chapter of the Bible, in the fifth, last verse of the Bible, say this, concluding the revelation. <laughs> and the spirit and the bride say, "Come, and let him that heareth say, "Come, and let him that is athirst, come, and whosoever will, let him whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You make God a liar if you believe the damnable heresy and doctrine that God elects them to hell. Oh, you say, Romans chapter 9. Yeah, glad you talked about it or thought about it. You know what Romans nine, ten, and 11 are talking about? You know who it's talking to? Well, well we're right there, aren't we, in Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. Paul said, I say the truth in Christ I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness, and continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. How could God say that... He, well, how could Paul say that people were damned to hell when he was wanting his people? And this is what chapter 9, 10, 11 are talking about. The people of Israel, not of the church. My kinsmen according to the flesh, and he wants to save them. And over in chapter 10 and verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, and not the church, it's Israel, the nation of Israel, is that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, and that's the way they were. Look at the Pharisees, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going back to establish their own righteousness through their own laws... Have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Yes, the peop- that, those chapters are speaking about Israel. And in the midst of them, you know, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And that's where people who have this mindset get off the track, get it in its context. Fit it where it fits put it where God put it. don't try to pull it out of its context and build a heresy on it. How could be how could a loving God be justified in damning souls to hell who didn't have a choice? He just said you're going there and that's it. I know. So oh, you're using human reasoning. No, the scriptures, the scriptures tell us. There's a new movement. It's called monolism. It's a theology developed by a 15th century Jesuit priest. Back then, it's coming to the fore again. A Jesuit priest, Louis Molin, as a halfway thing between Calvinism and Armenianism. Let's <laughs> get us it. Monolism is an attempt to reconcile God's sovereignty and man's responsibility through the use of middle knowledge, they call it. A fellow called Keith Lee borrows from Timothy George's Roses Framework. You see, it used to be we talked about tulip to talk about Calvinism. Total depravity, T-U-L-I-P, representing like an acrostic. This one presents the word roses. Don't know why they pick on the flowers. And it rose, R, radical depravity, O, overcoming grace, S, sovereign election, E, eternal life, S, singular redemption. And that's the monolism soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Monolism holds to the fundamental error of John Calvin and his mentor, Augustine, which is sovereign election or unconditional election the Bible's approach is foreknowledge election not sovereign election that's why we see in two major passages the ones we're looking at Romans 8 29 and 30 and 1 Peter 1 2 the passages about election God's foreknowledge election the Bible begins with God's foreknowledge and foreknowledge is not forewill the Greek the two words used in each of the different passages, Peter and Romans, to know beforehand means to know beforehand, to foresee forethought, foreknowledge election, which is the plain teaching of scripture and encompasses all that God teaches about soteriology and salvation. Listen to some of these verses and how can you say that God just elects certain ones and the rest he elects to hell? Or sins to hell, they don't have a choice in it. One John two two. And he, Christ, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours. And he's talking ours, Christians only, but also for the sins of the whole world, the whole world. He died for them all. First Timothy, and they all could be saved if they chose to be saved. First Timothy 2, verse 3, the last part, and verse 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all, all means all, to be testified in due time. Wait until Judgment Day, and then you'll see. How could there be a great white throne judgment? And the Lord says, depart from me into the lake of fire if these people didn't have a choice in the matter. Hebrews 2.9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour that he by the grace of God should taste death for every, every man. John 3.16. You should know that one if you're a Christian. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And all the other whosoever's in the scriptures. The certainty of a new pledge that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ. And uh, (laughs) whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate. That we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. That's the process of salvation. We haven't time to to go through it. Uh, The time. (laughs) And them he also glorified. So the saints has this certainty of this new pledge that he will do it. We will be predestinated to be made after him. The saint has <clears throat> the eighth point, the eighth certainty has the certainty of a new promise a new pledge, in verse 31 a pledge of protection if what shall we say to these things if God be for us who can be against us if you want to pick on me you're picking on the Lord meet my friend and defender I'd like to go to the book of Ezekiel when one day soon And it's already in the wind. It's about to happen that Russia, Magog, Turkey, um, Togoma, Persia, that's Iran, Libya and Sudan are going to come down on God's people called back to the land. 1948, they formed as a nation. They're going to come down to take it. And God... Will be their defender. Just as he is our defender today. And his fury rises in his face. You read it in Ezekiel 38 and 39. <clears throat> and he said not on. And he comes to the defense of his people. folk. he defends his own. We are the apple of his eye. Israel is the apple of his eye. Believe it. And he will protect you. Who, who, if God be before us who can be against us. Who's greater than God? Nobody. So the saints is certainly of a new promise. God's protection of God's provision in verse 32. He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He provides us, gives us all things. If he gave us the ultimate, his only begotten son, everything else is as it were lesser than the son, the beloved son, and he will give us these great things. Psalm 37:25 I have seen I have been young, now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous begging bread Philippians 4:19. but my God we know it shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory they the Philippians had also met Paul's needs once and twice it says just in the previous verses some, some people say oh look God's gonna uh, you get into the work of the Lord and you meet your needs as you meet others needs that's what it's saying in Philippians 4:19. <clears throat> Read verses those verses 14 right through to 19. So, he provides all our needs. In this time of need, he will provide our needs. He will freely give us all things. And these could all be sermons in themselves. Verse 33, the new promise against those that protest against us. What shall we, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. There's no higher judge than God. Not even the devil. Who accuses Christians constantly as it reads in Revelation 12.1 For the accuser of our brethren is cast down who accused them before our God day and night. Who shall lay charge against God's elect? It is God that justifies. He saved me. He cleansed me from my sin. He covered all my sins from start to finish. And when the devil says, ah, look, he's done this. He's sinned again. And God the Father sees us through his Son and the shed blood and the sins are gone. Cast as far as the east is from the west. Can't see anything. What are you talking about? (laughs) Ah, he sees us through his Son. Against the protests against us. God promises us forgiveness and cleansing and against the prosecution of those that would bring prosecution against us in verse 34 who is he that condemneth it is Christ that died yea rather is risen again who is even at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us <clears throat> nobody can prosecute us no judge how oh, they might do it down here they might throw us in prison they might do this they might do that but God is the one that's the final judge. All judgments being committed to the Son, and the great white throne for the non Christian and the beamer seat for the Christian will bring forth the truth. We cannot be prosecuted. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. It's Christ that stood in our place. He took our punishment for our sin. He paid for it all. And he's risen again. God approved, was propitiated by his. Finished, final sacrifice it is finished sins have been paid for sins have been atoned for and he's risen again he who is at the right hand of God the approval of the father in the resurrection of Christ is seen that our sins who who can condemn us who can prosecute us nobody so the saint has the certainty of these new promises and last but certainly not least and I'd like to spend time in these but we haven't the other time, one day we will in heaven. The saint has the certainty of a new protector. In verse 35, this includes protection in both life and death. The 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? Listen to who's saying that. This is Paul. And if the Lord tarries in the future, where we're going, in a couple of sermons, maybe three or four sermons, through the trials of Paul and several occasions, four I think occasions he writes a whole heap of verses that talk about the troubles he had. For instance, whipped twenty-nine no, thirty-nine times, save one whip, five times over. It it and you say, Is that protection? Yep, that's God's protection, kept him alive. God protected him. But it doesn't say he would go through hard times. It doesn't mean that we won't have troubles. Some people say, well, once you become a Christian, there's all glory all the way. Glory in our relationship with the Lord. But troubles, troubles down here, you shall suffer persecution and distress and persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril or sword. Shall these things separate us from the Lord? Not at all. Not at all. As it's written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. Paul knew what that meant. To be robbed when he had to work all night to make, make intents to meet his need and other people's needs. He got robbed from it. You say, what? Yep, that's what happened. All, ca- counted as sheep for the slaughter, as it reads in the second part of verse 36. All day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Well, the, the, the devil doesn't like an active, dedicated, committed, sanctified Christian. He will do everything to fight against him. Step up to the fu- to plate, step up to the fight and be ready to be on the chopping block, as it were, any day, all day, every day. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So in both life and death, we have the protection of the Lord. From angels and demons, we have the protection of the Lord. In verse 38, I'm persuaded neither death nor life. You know, don't be afraid of him that kills the body. But be afraid of him that can cast body and soul into hell. That's what the scripture said. Fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear the Lord. Angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come. Hey, the devil cannot do anything to us without God's permission. And he cannot take us out of the hand of God John chapter 10 angels and demons cannot we know the intent of the devil he wants everyone to go to hell and roast with him for eternity he wants to damn everyone there (laughs) hell was made as it says in scripture for the devil and his angels but he wants to fill it with people too greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world we have a protector and it's God and no one can pick on him. From angels and demons, we have that protection. Both present and future, we have that protection. In Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Miraculously, God has preserved many people. Other people have suffered death, but they're still in, safe in the arms of the Lord Jesus. Present and future, 38, the last part of it, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Things happen down here, things happen in eternity. We are protected by the Lord. And last of all, both height and depth we are protected from, by our protector. We read in verse 39, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Certainty in uncertain times. Stop fearing. Start believing. Stop trying. Start trusting. Exercise your faith in this hour of need. Be triumphant. Let the people around you who are not Christians see that you're joying in the Lord in troublesome times. <clears throat> There's a believer called John Chrysostom, and i read you his story. He was brought before the Roman emperor in the 5th century and threatened with banishment for his faith. He replied to the emperor, Thou canst not banish me, for this world is my father's house. But, said the emperor, I will slay thee. Nay, thou canst not, said the noble champion of the faith, for my life is hid with Christ in God. The emperor said, I will take away thy treasures. And Christendom said, Nay, but thou canst not, for my treasure is in heaven, and my heart is there also. The emperor then said, But I will drive thee away from men, and thou shalt have no friend left. Nay, thou canst not. For I have a friend in heaven from whom thou canst not separate me. I defy thee, for there is nothing that thou canst hurt me with. The emperor then said, What can you do with such a fanatic as this? (laughs) Are you fanatically for the Lord? And it's a true saying. It happened in history. I pray that you're trusting the Lord. He will get you through uncertain times. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word. Thank you, Lord, for this chapter. So briefly and quickly gone over, we can rejoice in its content. We know that it is true. These are certainties given from a sovereign God on the throne in heaven soon to send his son to reveal himself. We look forward to that day. Until then, let us be faithful and true to your word. Bless the person that Lord is listening who is not saved. Bless them with salvation. May they turn to you and, and have what we have as our, our, in faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me read a closing hymn. And this is in a record of hymn's histories. <clears throat> It is well with my soul. It's number 256 in our hymn book, actually. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Now, let's get the context of when this was written. Chicago burnt. And this man who wrote this hymn, Spafford, was there. He had a lot of property and possessions and they are all taken away. He helped build a church after the fire and then he had his girls and he thought, well, there's nothing here for them. I'll send them back. We'll go back to England and they'll get a good education. The story goes, I'm briefing it up. <clears throat> so he went down there and they were going to sail and then something happened that he had to stay and his wife and his girls went so just before they were to leave, the last minute business development made it necessary for Mr Spafford to remain in Chicago and to spend his to send his wife and children on ahead. He would come later on another ship. The Spafford family arrived safely in New York and boarded the ship Villa de Harvey. Something like that. <laughs> Soon they're on their way to England. and in the mid-ocean there was a collision between their ship and an English sailing ship. The Villa de floundered and sank, taking with her to the bottom of the ocean most of those on board, including the Spafford's four daughters. Mr Spafford was found barely conscious, but clinging to a piece of wreckage. While boarding the rescue ship, which was taking her and other survivors to England, she was able to draft a short message which was sent to her husband in Chicago. It read, Saved Alone. When Mr Spafford received this message, The tragedy of the fire seemed but nothing in comparison to what this cablegram implied. Money and burned buildings could be replaced, but his children were gone. It was through these clouds of darkness and despair that that there shone into the heart of Mr Spafford the bright light of God's promise. God would not forsake him in the trying hour, no matter what the circumstances. Peace like a river of sorrow, peace like a river or or sorrows, like sea billows roll, with God all is well. Captured by this thought, Mr Spafford quickly penned the words of the song that I just started reading. It would herald its way through Christian churches and encourage, mul- encourage multitudes. It would continue doing so for hundreds of years and still today. When he finished writing the words, Mr Spafford took the poem over to a friend, and neighbor who also lived on May Street, his name was Mr. P.P. P. Bliss. The composer who gave the words a most fitting melody, one that has kept the message of the song alive and vibrant vibrant to these days. The second verse reads, Though Satan should buffet and trial should come, this blessed assurance control that Christ had regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul my sin O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross i bear it no more praise the lord praise the lord O my soul the last verse reads and lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight the clouds be rolled back like a scroll he made his four daughters again the trump shall resound and the lord shall descend even so it is well with my soul huh. is it well is it is well Is it well with your soul as it was with Mr. Spafford's when things don't go like they should? God bless. We'll see you at prayer meeting. Seven o'clock that comes up. And then, Lord willing, next week if we're still here on earth. Thank you.